you're listening to Church of Hope's podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope today's teaching encourages and inspires you. Check out hopeinocala.com for more resources on this journey called life. Here's today's teaching. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody on the campus today and those joining us online. If you would, grab your Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, or turn on your digital device, Isaiah uh, chapter 9. Uh, I was reading a story this week uh, about a couple, and uh, they had noticed in their family room a crack on the wall. And initially, they thought maybe the the different decorations they had put up on the wall was causing the crack. So they took decorations down, patched it up, and kind of thought everything was fine. Well, a few days later, they saw that same crack uh, in, in the wall. So they were thinking, well, we need to get some professional. And so they invited a painter to come out, and he repainted the whole, you know, patched it, painted and all that. And uh, about a month later, that same crack, it, it came back. They were talking to family friends, and, and they said, well, listen, the problem probably is the drywall. You need to bring in a drywall guy, kind of rip it back, put some new drywall up, retape it, sand it, paint it, and that crack will be gone. So they paid the money, brought a drywall guy in and ripped out all the sheetrock and retaped it, sanded it, and painted it. And about a month later, that, that crack came back. Well, they were having a conversation with one of their grandfathers, and um, he came over to the house, and he kind of looked at everything, and then he said this. He said, you don't have a problem with your wall. You don't have a problem with the paint or the sheetrock. You've got a problem with your foundation. Their foundation wasn't settled, and it was causing the drywall to crack. And I know right now we, we gather and we see a lot of things in America that we see as problems, as cracks. A lot of us are watching on television as politicians are promising that they're going to fix this crack or fix that crack. I'd like to su- suggest to us this morning that what we really have is a foundation problem. We've got to go back and we've got to answer this question. Do we as a country, the United States of America, were we built on the foundation of God, of the Bible, or not? Because the answer of that question will direct us forward. And it seems percentage-wise, about a half of the country believes we were built on the foundation of God of the Bible. And another half, not so much. You see a movement today to, to rip down different, you know, pictures and statements and statues and monuments from days gone by. And, and last week, I brought a message, and I, I began to say out loud that, that really in all of history of mankind, there's only two nations that have built their civilization on the God of the Bible, Israel in the Bible and the United States of America. And so what I hope to do this morning is just kind of outline and go through. And this message, if you call it a series, I call it more of a collection of messages. Some would want to put the word end times kind of on the top of it. And it'd be easy to get caught up in kind of the signs of the times. My hope is we're not getting caught up in the signs of the times. My hope is that you fall deeper in love with the God of all times. The Bible says in Psalms 33, Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. I hope to make an argument, a point this morning, that the blessings that we have as these United States of America are deeply rooted in the foundation that we established years ago as a country that we built on the foundation of God, the Bible. Now hear me, 
I am not saying at all that we do not have problems. I am not saying that there are not cracks in the wall, but we've got a decision to make. Are we going to address the crack on the wall, or are we going to go back and look at the foundation? Because if we shore up the foundation, the cracks on the wall will take care of themselves. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus speaking, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation is on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, it's all about foundation. What foundation have you built your life on? And whose foundation have we as a country built our foundation on? Now, applying Isaiah chapter 9 in just a few moments to our Bible study, I want to make this clear. In the Bible, there are promises that are given to the nation of Israel. Those promises are exclusive. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And a proper hermeneutical approach to Bible study, I can't lay that promise on top of the United States. I'm not saying the United States of America is Israel. But what I am saying is we can apply biblical principles that will bring blessings into our lives, much like when we prayed earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people, that's a direct response between God and Judah and Israel. But we too can claim if if my people are called by his name, if we will pray, if we will humble, if we will repent, there is a, a blessing that follows, just like the story that Jesus gave. When you build your house on a rock-solid foundation, when all of those pressure points, and there are pressure points in our country, whatever that you're hoping for in the election this year, whatever policy that you hope gets enacted, whatever injustice that you hope gets eradicated i would suggest to all of us whatever that hope is whatever that dream whatever change you want to see in america it is going to be best experienced if god is our foundation now i want to lead us through not a history lesson but what i'd like to do is lean into some empirical data in other words rather than just being my opinion as far as the United States being built on the foundation of, of God's word, I'd like to show you and remind you of our own history and biblical um, statements that are put on different buildings all throughout our land. You can go to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. There is a chapel in that, in that capital, and it says, Psalm 16:1, Preserve me, O God, in thee do I put my trust. That same uh, Capitol building behind the Speaker of the House, it says, In God we trust. I'm not saying everybody does. I'm just showing you all throughout our country, all throughout our buildings. You can go to the White House in 1945, Franklin D. Roosevelt. He put on the mantle a prayer that was offered by uh, President John Adams. I quote, I pray heaven to, be to bestow the best of blessings on this house and all those that shall hereafter inhabit it. May none but honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. Now, you can decide for yourself if that prayer has been answered or not so much, but nonetheless, it's, it's there. Then we go to the, the Lincoln Memorial. How God raised up Abraham Lincoln to lean in, to leverage his life, to give his life 
for the 13th Amendment. I, I want to share for you a proclamation. This didn't come from a pastor. It didn't come from a preacher. It didn't come from an evangelist. Billy Graham's not around yet at this time. This is the President of the United States. Notice in his own words. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and nations, has by a resolution requested the President to designate and set apart a day of national prayer, fasting, and humiliation. Could you imagine? <laughs> you can't. The New York Times would never print that, right? Could you imagine our country being called notice? And whereas it is the duty of nations, as well as of men, to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope and genuine repentance, will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed who God is the Lord. I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just showing you that this country, you might not agree, and certainly there's a whole host of people who believe that the foundation of the United States of America is flawed and it needs to be torn down and pushed to the byways. But I'm showing you that in our history, on our own buildings, you can go to the Jefferson Memorial, the author of our Declaration of Independence. Different times, eight different times on those walls, God, creator, creation. Listen to this on one of the panels. God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. I know we got cracks. I know we've got flaws. I know there's injustices. But I'm suggesting that whatever our dreams are for change, whatever we hope for for the future, it will be best experienced if we come back to the foundation that our founding fathers established us on the washington monument it's filled with references of god and the bible at the very cornerstone the bible itself was was placed when the sun when god causes the sun to rise in the east on the capstone it says leos dio which means Praise be to God. In other words, the first thing that our nation does every single morning as the sun rises, it stands as a declaration towards the heavens to say to God, praise be to God. And just in case you needed a better picture when our architects laid out these monuments in our city and you look down from an aerial view, you can see clearly that they made a deliberate decision that they wanted the heavens to see that we have placed our nation at the very foot of the cross, that our nation is strong and blessed because we believe that the freedom of a nation was rooted when God so sent his son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'm just saying out loud, I'm letting it speak for itself that the foundation of this country, as flawed as it might be, the foundation of this country, like the nation of Israel, has been rooted on God of the Bible. Amen is right. The Supreme Court, ironically, when you walk in, you see on its, on its wall, on its marquee, it says this, equal justice under law. 
says, do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. I don't understand our Supreme Court. They definitely haven't heard the smallest of voices, the unborn babies. I'm like you. I'm sad that 200 plus thousand people have died of the coronavirus. I wish that they, I, I don't want anybody to die. I want everybody to discover hope in Jesus Christ. But I want you to know something. Since 1973, you're looking at over 60 million unborn U.S citizens. I'm all for women's rights. I want a woman to have all of her rights, but I want babies to have their rights. I want all people to have their rights. But the irony is that on the walls of our Supreme Court, it says that this equal justice for the small and the large. Interesting, in Alabama, you might remember, there was a certain judge who put the Ten Commandments out in front of his court, and he was ordered to remove those Ten Commandments. He went to prison over those Ten Commandments. But as you can see, the very doors that you walk into the Supreme Court has the Ten Commandments written on them. And then the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier simply says, here rests in honor, glory, an American soldier known but to God. The blessings, the favor that we have as a country, the foundation when our country, our founding fathers built upon it and we asked him to bestow that goodness on us. Same thing with Israel. Israel coming out of Egypt and the way God protected them and gave them victory, they weren't a military power, but all through the desert, all throughout times, God protected them. And then what would happen is they would forget that it was God who was the author of their blessings, and they would begin to walk away from God. And God would bring judgment, not because God's against Israel, just the opposite, God was for them. He wanted them to return, to repent, because he knew that life with them was life at it's best. And so God always comes to his people and he wants them to know, listen, you're headed in the wrong direction. Like a loving dad, a loving mom, you're going in the wrong direction. I want you to stop. I'm allowing this difficult moment. I'm allowing this adversity to come. I want you to have an awakening. I taught last week. You can look online. I believe with everything inside of me that 9-11, we misread it. We, we thought that it was a time for retaliation rather than a time of repentance. I believe, like the nation of Israel, the template, God was sending an adversary to awaken us, to return, to repent. God always comes to the place of blessing. In other words, where the covenant was established a blessing, where the nation said, we want you to be our God. And we're going to follow after you. We're going to obey you. At that geographical place, God always brings the judgment there first. Why? Because he's trying to remind them. He wants them to come back. He's thinking, hey, if they come back to the place where the blessing was bestowed, it will prompt them. All throughout the nation of Israel, that judgment always began at the temple. It's where the temple would be taken and destroyed you know the story about the the covenant of the ark and how it would be taken by the adversaries away and it was always at that that place that god would allow the judgment to come first we know that best when we go to the story of jesus the ultimate judgment of god was placed on jesus jesus came and he paid for the sins of all people He paid the sins for every man and every woman. God's judgment was poured out on Jesus. Jesus on the cross in Matthew chapter 27 says in verse 50, Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. 
he passed. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. That was the epicenter. That was the place that God had promised his blessing. That's where it was established with Abraham. I will be your God. You will be my people. At that place, that temple, it was rocked. That curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split apart. God always brings the judgment back to the original place of the blessing. That's why in the New Testament, 1 Peter, it says, for it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household, and it begins with us. But we miss it. The nation of Israel missed it. In Isaiah, where I had you turn your Bibles, they decided instead of responding with repentance, they responded with defiance. God was allowing the Babylonians at that time to come against them. And the initial siege came in 605 BC. But they, they kind of stiffed their neck. They, they said, we're, we're, we're better than this. We don't need you so much, God. We can fix this on our own. Go to your Bible. Notice Isaiah chapter number 9. The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance, in other words, not in repentance, but in arrogance, in defiance of their heart. The bricks have fallen down. But we will rebuild with hewn stones or stronger stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. And then verse 13, but the people have not returned to him. Judah saying, listen, this siege has come against us from Babylon, but we withstood it initially. And so we're large and in charge, and we're going to rebuild better and stronger. And, and, and listen, you do something to me once, shame on you. But you do it to me a second time, shame on me. And I'm not letting this happen again. I'm going to be stronger and faster. We won't ever let this happen again. And as I taught you last week, 19 years later, from 605 to 586, Israel grew further and farther away from God. They became even more defiant. Last week I said that I believe we missed what happened in 9-11. September 11th, 2001, God calling us as a nation to repentance. I don't think it's an irony. I realize you might not agree with me. I realize you might be thinking I'm stretching it. I'm just trying to teach you the Bible. I think those 19 years are very relevant and from 2001 to 2020, these 19 years, America hasn't come closer to God. The decisions we've made as a country since 2001, further defiance against God. The Bible says in Psalms 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chooses for their inheritance. But like Isaiah chapter nine, we've said, no, we'll rebuild We'll get a bigger stone, a better stone. Hey, the sycamore, that weak sycamore tree, it might have gotten knocked down, but we will plant a better tree, a cedar tree. Let me restate. I am not saying for one minute that the United States is Israel, but I am saying there is a pattern. There is a template, and the United States of America is following that template. Israel said, listen, the bricks might have fallen now, but I'll tell you something, we're going to get some bigger stones. Maybe you remember, they went to upstate New York and they hewed out a large foundation stone. 
and they brought that stone with a big ceremony and they marked on it the, the, the stone of the one freedom tower and they laid it at the very edge of the foundation and they built the new one trade world center on top of that. At ground zero, there, is a, there was a sycamore tree. A piece of shrapnel came off one of the towers and it destroyed that sycamore tree. You can see we made a decision as a country that we would bring a different kind of tree. We cut down that sycamore tree and we replaced it with a cedar tree. I'm just saying there's a template. There's a biblical template. You might say, Mark, this is all coincidence. I'm just saying out loud, God is calling us, not just because of the signs of the times, but because God is God and we are men and women, he's calling all of us to repentance. He's asking you to stop playing with marbles at the foot of the cross. He's asking for you to stop just having a marginal interest. He's asking you to stop being lukewarm. He's asking you as a Christ follower, will you finally step up and step in and decide that you are a Christ follower more than you are an American? We're following this pattern. In the Bible, there's a principle that for a truth to be established, it must be established in the voice of two or three witnesses. The leaders of the nation of Israel in Isaiah chapter 9, they stood in defiance and they declared in representation for the country as a whole, they declared, listen, thanks but no thanks, we're not repenting, we will build bigger and better and stronger. What I'm about to show you, I'm not saying that these politicians stood with that kind of cognitive ability. Quite frankly, I think they were clueless. Quite frankly, I think they were just being used by the hand of God to remind all of us, just like the nation of Israel, to bring us back to the foundation, to bring us back to the place where God bestowed his blessings on us, to remind us that God's not against us, he's for us, but he wants us to return to him. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. On September 12th, 2001, the Senate was controlled by the Democrats. At that time, Tom Daschle was the leader of the Senate, and he said these words. But there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times like this. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. See, he thinks he's bringing words of encouragement. I, I think his heart is pure. I think he's, he thinks he's bringing words of encouragement. But these were the words that ushered in the judgment of God on the nation of Israel. Three years later, in the presidential race, one of the vice presidential candidates shared these words. Today, on this day of remembrance and mourning, we have the Lord's word to get us through. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. This is taken from Isaiah 9, chapter 10, verse. The Bible tells us that for a truth to be established, it must be established in the voice of two or three witnesses. Again, I think he's innocent. I think he's just trying to bring words of encouragement. But he is prophesying the very words 
that Israel said against God that ushered in the ultimate judgment in 586 where they were taken into captivity. Then in 2009, seven years after the, the, the 9-11 attack, you know those were difficult financial times. I believe in an effort to try to encourage um, America President Obama came before um, Congress and he shared these words in his, own, in his own words sharing Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 10. We may be weakened and our confidence shaken, but we are living through difficult and uncertain times. Tonight I want every American to know this. We will rebuild, we will recover, and the United States of America will emerge stronger than before. God is bringing Israel to repentance. He wants them to return, but they stiffen their neck. And instead of returning in repentance, they offer defiance. And Isaiah chapter 9 are the final words before God brings in the ultimate judgment. And then in putting the, the tallest beam, they created a, a, a white beam that they would place at the height of the World Trade Center. President Obama, again, I think innocent. I'm not thinking he's not doing anything wrong. He writes these words on the beam that are there pointing towards the heaven as a declaration for God to see today. We remember, we rebuild, we will come back stronger. Isaiah chapter 9, the Lord sent a word against Jacob and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride, who say in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with, with cedars. But the people have not returned to him. It is a biblical principle that God brings judgment back to the foundation where the people came in covenant with God and said, listen, we want you to be our God. We will be your people. That covenant, that, that, that foundation of blessing. God brings judgment first back to that foundation to remind us, to awaken us, to open up our hearts and our minds that God is for us and he's not against us, but we've got to repent from doing things the way we want them to be. We've got to repent from having a casual interest in showing up to God like a weekend hobby. We've got to put down the salt shaker and we've got to see that God is the entire meal. He wants us not to stand in defiance. He wants us to lean into repentance. If you were to go with me today to southern Manhattan, you would see what's known as the Federal Hall. There in the front of the Federal Hall, you'll see a statue of, of President Washington. It's where he took the inaugural. You understand, most of us think that the birthday of the United States of America is July 4th, 1776. That's the Declaration of Independence. We had a war to fight. We had a war to win. We had a government to structure. It wasn't until April 30th, 1789, that this government that we know as the United States of America was established. And it was here at the Freedom Hall in Lower Manhattan. Our First Nations capital was not Washington, D.C. It was New York City, in particular, Lower Manhattan. 
And at this place, he put his hand on the Bible. That tradition started with George Washington. And putting his hand on the Bible, he gave the, the oath of, he received the oath of office, the inaugural of him being our first president. And then he said these words. The first act of our form of government is to call upon the almighty God of his favor and blessings as we build this new government upon him. And he led them from Freedom Hall in Lower Manhattan on a walk, and they landed at the St. Paul's Church in Lower Manhattan. And in that space, they cried out to God. In that space, I mean, can you imagine it? Senators and House of Representatives and, and all the dignitaries and the president reaching towards heaven and calling upon God. That was the place of blessing. That's where the covenant, that's where it all began, not in Washington, D.C., but in lower Manhattan, where today we would call it ground zero. That that church where the covenant of blessing was established between Almighty God and the United States of America, on September 11th, 2001, God would begin that judgment. He wanted America to understand that he loved us. He wants us to be in right relationship with him. He wants us, he's not mad at us. He's not an angry God, but like a loving dad, he wants us to return to him. The foundation, lower Manhattan. But just in case, just in case perhaps potentially as Americans, we needed something a little bit more. God did not just give us a foundation. He gave us a foundation to the foundation. You see, in 1630, there was a Puritan by the name of John Withrow. And he sailed, a Dutch explorer, follower of God. He sailed to find a new land where people could worship the true and living God of the Bible. That, that, that a, a society, uh, a people could be founded, like Jesus said, like a city on a hill, declaring the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He found what we now call the, 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 the Boston Harbor. And as they, as they came in, he noticed off in the distance this, this, this hilltop. We know that today as, as the city of Boston. And they, they went to that space, and on that space, on that hilltop at Boston, they declared in covenant that they wanted the, the almighty God, the favor of God, that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Notice in his own words. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. So that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. About 150 years before President Washington leaded Congress, leaded the first the first act of these United States to go down to St. Paul's Chapel in southern Manhattan and to declare the blessing and the favor of God. John Winthrop went on to become the governor of Massachusetts. If you've been to, to Boston, 
there's a, there's a small island that was known then as the Governor's Island. And that's where Winthrop lived. There was a fort there to protect him. And he, he built a, an, an orchard. And he would often go out to that orchard and, and pick different fruit. And he would look up on that hillside and he would pray and he would dream that out of this place, Boston, Massachusetts, that the, the almighty light of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine. Talk about a bold vision. Young, upstart, Puritan, nobody, how in the world? Dreaming and believing. But he believed, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In time, that little piece of land would be annexed into the city of Boston and today we know it, maybe you've flown through it, as Logan International Airport. And if your mind drifts back to September 2001 and as the news reports and as the investigations of what began to happen that day, you'll be reminded that the terrorists who hijacked those planes began their flight from Boston, Logan International Airport, the foundation of all foundation. Now, this week I asked you to read Deuteronomy chapter 28 every single day. I, I received an email from one lady. She said, oh my goodness, this thing is wearing me out. And, and, and hear my heart. I love you all. I'm not saying this is like a mad or anything, but it's not lost on me. Most of you all didn't read it. Um, I sure hope this week you will. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the Spirit of God right now and every Christian that's here or watching online, that there's something inside. Your heart is beating at a pace. God, God, God is up to something unlike any other time. But that Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first, the first half of it, it's a, who doesn't love the first part of Deuteronomy 28? Because it talks about how life will look if, if you obey God. And it really, when you read it, it's a narrative as far as how God's blessed America. Read it for yourself. Then you get to part two. In part two, he starts talking about how a nation would look. Moses is writing Deuteronomy 28 hundreds of years before Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. He wanted Israel, even then, to know, listen, just as God took you out of Egypt and God has provided us all through the desert, don't you forget that obeying God, you want to be favored by God, you want the blessings of God, it's all rooted in obeying God. And here's how life will look when God is your God. And then you get to the second part, when people start thinking, you know what? We're okay without you, God. Let me read two verses. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 49 and 50. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. He's talking now to Israel. If you choose to disobey God, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth. Like an eagle swooping down in, in, in those days, right? They would use, the prophets would, would use the picture of an eagle, right? It's a, it's a great picture of the power and the strength of an eagle who's eyed its prey and they swoop down and all that power and all that majesty to, to attack it's pray. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old, pity for the young. Now listen, I love all people. 
I want everybody, I want everybody to know Jesus. And I'm not trying to profile a people group. But when you let your mind drift back to the people who led those attacks 9-11, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand. Customs, religion, you do not understand. A fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. When they took those planes into the two twin towers, when they took those planes into the Pentagon, when that plane crashed in a field in Pennsylvania, there was no concern for the old, there was no concern for the young. Deuteronomy 28, again, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or the pity for the young. Maybe you remember the first plane that took off from Logan where Winthrop had begun the covenant with God as a foundation of America with God. And when that plane struck the first tower at Ground Zero, which was the place that George Washington came and bestowed the blessing upon the United States, we entered in this covenant, and God always brings the judgment first to the place where the blessing was established. You might remember that it was an American Airlines plane. And back then, they have since changed their logo, but back then you'll remember that it was a picture of an eagle with its beak pointed down, with its wings expanded, swooping down to attack its prey. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand. I realize some of you would be like, Mark, you, you, you're, 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 trying to, you're trying to twist way too much together. Hey, listen, I ought to be able to stand up right here and simply say this to every Christian and to every human being, repent. And you repent. I believe God gives us prophecy to give you a snapshot. It's not the exact, but it gives you a snapshot that he's up to something. He's doing something in the times in which we live and I am not, listen, I, I, I am not trying to give you signs of the times to kind of get you to think, well, what's going on? Well, how, how could things be? I want you to fall in love with the God of all times. Go back to March of this year and all those Facebook, all those moments I've been trying to say out loud to this church and to everybody watching me online that 2020 was not a year to just get through. 2020 was a year to grow through because I believe with everything in, in front of me, 2020 is an easy year. 21, 22, whatever God has in front of us, whoever becomes, quote unquote, the next president, I am telling you, it is time, if you are a Christ follower, to wake up and understand the God of this Bible, that prayer that you said in vacation Bible school, those motions that you want to go through, it is more than some prayer, it is more than some motions, this is the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus who gave his one and only life, God who came and allowed all the judgment of the world to be on his shoulders, he's called us to step up, step out, and step in, and to be that light on a hill that our founding father said long ago, so that the whole world will see that our God wants every man, every woman, every Every boy, every girl to discover there is hope in the name of Jesus. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, 
Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I, I don't know if you've ever begun a relationship with Jesus. Like, I, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I, I don't, all the humility in the world. I mean, I was, I was the worst of all sinners. I'm telling you, you would never allow your children to be around me when I was a United States Marine. And quite frankly, if I could, if I could steal your wallet, I would. If I could abuse your daughter, I'd abuse your daughter. I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't know Jesus. I was all about me. And out of the goodness and the graciousness of God, he brought a man named Tom Tagliente, Camp Foster, in Okinawa, Japan. My eyes were opened to Jesus. It's never been the same. And I, I'm trying to say this, and I know most of you aren't going to believe it. It's got nothing to do with me having a career as, quote, a pastor. I've never even really liked being a pastor. I've loved being a follower of Jesus. He changed my life. I know without a shadow of a doubt that if my heart were to stop beating, I'm waking up in heaven. There's absolutely, that's, I don't have any fear. I don't have any apprehension. The reason I'm all in and following Jesus is because he saved me. And if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus in a moment when I pray, I'm asking you to lean in online in this space. You don't have to get your life cleaned up. You don't have to be worried about what someone else might think. You might have been going to church for all kinds of years, but he's calling you to repent. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 2, consider how far you have fallen. I wonder, will we consider that? More than what politician you like or more what party you belong to, all the stuff that's buzzing around out there. You know, the signs that are all in the parking lot. Jesus, 2020, our only hope. Like, I believe it. I, my, my hope is not in a political party. My hope is not in a particular candidate. I'm going to vote. I'm going to participate. But here's, here's, what, I, here's what I'm focusing on. I, I, I want... Whoever, I don't care, male or female, white or black, Democrat, independent, socialist, I don't care who, I want the person who's going to see that God is the foundation of the United States of America, and you can make whatever kind of legislation, and you can make whatever kind of laws and rules all up here on the wall, but they're all going to be cracks, and they're going to keep surfacing day, week, month after month, until we as a nation come back and understand our foundation is rooted exclusively on the God of the Bible. And there's a fight for that right now. Really, that's what the whole vote's about going forward. Will we be a nation that's built on the foundation of God, or will we not be? Those are two choices. Consider how far you have fallen. Let me just pause for a second. Because I, I love you all, and I can imagine some of you are like, is he talking politics? Isn't there the whole church and state separation thing? Number, number one, I'm, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about our lives. But number two, I just, I just outlined for you how our founding fathers, they put the butter of God all over this toast called America. You understand? Anybody who's showing up and trying to tell you otherwise, I'm just, you, you go look for yourself. You go to D.C. You go all across America. You go every place, and you look how it's all baked into who we are as a nation. 
and the pressure, the stress, and the anxiety, all the injustices, racism, all the things that we see, it's only because we've chosen not to make God the foundation. When we make God the foundation of our country, then blessed is that nation. Revelations 3 and 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. So use me today as a holy alarm clock. And the decision you've got to make right now, are you going to hit snooze, or are you going to get your blessed assurance up? My hope and passion is that the Spirit of God right now has your heart beating. There's something inside of you that as a Christ follower, it's time to repent. Repent from that bitterness. Repent from that unforgiveness. Repent from that sense of ungratefulness. All the things that got you all, just repent. Come back to God. But here's here's the problem. I mean, most of us are afraid of repentance. We see it as a bad word because we think we're going to get a lecture. We're going to get a cold shoulder. So I did this in the first gathering. It was totally spontaneous. It won't be spontaneous, but I want to show you. I'm going to ask Linda, who loves being on the stage, not so much. Um, It's her birthday today. Happy birthday to you, Linda. I I just want you to stand. I want you to stand right here, okay? You right now, we're married, in case anybody didn't know that. We're married, and I've done something wrong to Linda, right? There's no doubt about it. I was wrong, and uh, you are an upset woman. Get that. I mean, put your hand out, all right, you get it out. You're too nice when you're upset. You've got to be mean. That's true about Linda. She's too nice. All right, and so I'm, I'm, I'm her husband, and I know that I did wrong. Everybody, rel- you, okay. All right, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to ask for her to forgive me and say that I'm wrong, right? So I come back, and often, what's the posture? Oh, yeah, it's a cold shoulder, right? Oh, yeah. Or, or she gets that finger out, and she starts rehearsing everything that I just said. You're absolutely right. You're wrong about that. Right? Anybody relate? And, and then, right, then you're sleeping on the couch. Or, all right, all right, you, you get that, right? And we see this, and we see this because maybe, maybe it's not a spouse. Maybe a friend did this to you. Maybe a son did this to you or a daughter. I don't, somebody. And we have a, we have a misconception of what repentance is. So can we, can we reverse role play for a minute? Okay, so, so. Um, you're never wrong, but for, for a moment, let's just pretend you are the wrong one. Okay, so you're wrong, and I know I'm not God, but role-playing, uh, we all know that I'm not God, right? So role-playing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the role of God. You've, you've done something, you know that it was wrong, and you're going to come to God in repentance. Remember, we've gone to somebody else in repentance and asked, and we've often got the cold shoulder, we've got the finger wagging at us, right? And we think that's how it's going to be with God. Here, I want you to see what it looks like when you go to God in repentance. Go ahead. Come here, baby. I love you so much. Happy birthday. I love you. What sin? I don't know about you. What sin? It's been separated as far as the east is from the west. Yeah, no, no, no. It's been buried in the depths of the sea. No, when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and to cleanse you from all unrighteous. See, this is what repentance is like. It's like a big hug from your heavenly father, right? And there's a whole bunch of us who need to go to our daddy in heaven and get hugged this morning. Thanks, baby. I love you. 
Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray over us if that's okay. <clears throat> there's, there's some repentance that's needed in this room. Some of you right now, you're involved in an affair. You're, you're with somebody who's not your spouse, physically, emotionally. I'm telling you, you need to repent to God. There's some, some in this room, you're watching stuff on that phone, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you think, you think your spouse doesn't know about it, no one in the world knows about it, your parents don't know about it, and whatever. You just need to know God knows all about that stuff. We've got to understand God's not against us. You've got to have, as I taught you last week, you've got to pivot. You've got to start thinking that obeying God is the better way to live. That it is more satisfying, it is more pleasurable to obey God than all the things that we try to chase and pursue in our life. Some of us have some chemicals we need to say no to. Some of us are addicted. We just need to be free. So whatever God shows you, in this space of this closing prayer, I just want you to say, God, I'm coming home for a hug. And I, I'm, I'm wrong. And I'm returning. That's what God wanted Israel to do. That's what God wants the United States to do. To return to him. To have that place of blessings. That's what God wants. But it only comes when we repent, when we return, when we say, God, we're wrong. We're wrong. We don't blame it on anybody. We're wrong. So in a moment, I'm going to have you, we're all going to pray. Before I, before I go in prayer is we are starting what I'm calling 20 days of prayer and scripture this Thursday. You can text plan on the screen, 63566, and we will send this to you digitally. We also have hard copies out at the, the welcome desk. You can see there is going to be a date, Thursday, October 15th. We give you something to pray for. We give you Bible verses that go along with it. And as a church, we're going to read through the book of Jeremiah. Why Jeremiah? Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and Jeremiah brought the last warning to Israel before the judgment came. And we're going to start on October 15th, for 20 days, we're going to read all the way up to Tuesday, November 3rd. My prayer and hope is that you will do November 3rd's reading even before you go and vote. Maybe you've already voted. But you go through, through this list. Some of, you, some of you need to repent because you've been too busy for God. You give every excuse in the world. And I just want to say out loud, shame on you if you don't do this. Shame on you. Just go to the beach. Just, I would rather someone be honest I'm not interested in God. Just be honest. Then play the part. It's time that we understand. I told pastors this week, I'm in a pastor's group on Wednesday mornings, and, and for me, I'm done rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. I ain't got time for that. I'm not interested in that. All the nonsense. I got time for, for repainting walls that are cracked. We are at foundational level. I love you. I love your family. I, I want the best and I want the favor, but it's who it's how God has wired me since I have pastored from, from the beginning. It's always been about I am a person of preparation. I am a person of, of action. I want you to be ready for. Because two things are going to happen. When it comes, either one, 
You're going to be like, God, thank you for that Cummins guy. I didn't always like him. Sometimes he agitated me and irritated me, but he got me ready. Or you're going to be in a really bad place. Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I prepare my family? We know this to be true in academics and athletics, in, 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 in investing, in our finances and everything else. But we have forgotten the words of Amos the prophet, prepare to meet thy God. It is time to prepare to meet your God. Be encouraged in Jesus' name. I love you guys. Love you. I love you. We're going to win. Father in heaven, I lift up my hands. I pray over these precious people. It's been a tough week preparing, and even this morning, God, I wanted to go to Sanibel and let somebody else talk. But your word is true. And God, you have opened up biblical prophecy to awaken our hearts, not because you're against us, but you want us to return to you. So right now in this space, Holy Spirit, fall on every Christ follower. And I ask that you would show each one of us right now where we need to return, what we need to repent from. And right now as the Holy Spirit shows you, will you have a conversation, Christian, with your God? right where you're standing, right where you're watching online. Have a conversation with them. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, today is your day of salvation. Don't you wait one more moment, one more day. God is speaking to you. Would you repent? Would you have this conversation with God? God, I repent of my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. And three days later, you became alive again. Today, I ask you, Jesus, to be the Savior of my life. And to those who have just prayed with me, welcome to God's family. Connect with the team online. Those who are here in person, connect with the the welcome desk. We want to help you start the 2020 reading plan. The best is yet to come. Father, we love you. God, I ask that you would continue to awaken each one of us individually. That we wouldn't just go through the motions, but our minds and our hearts would be awakened to what you're doing in this season. God, I pray for these United States of America. We are a divided nation. No politician will heal us. No election will bring justice to this land. We awaken us as Christians. We awaken us as churches to repent and come back to you, to come back to you, our first love, the foundation and the blessing that we established our life on. Hear us, oh God. We repent. I'm asking God for you to be merciful. Give us a little bit more time to share the good news of your son Jesus with men and women, boys and girls, moms and dads, that all might discover hope in your son Jesus. I love you. And I pray in the matchless name. I pray in the name of all hope. I pray in the encouraging name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Peace.